Thanks for tuning in to the Athletic Scholarship Corporation Radio Network. Heard worldwide on www.athleticscholarshipcorp.com. Your source for college recruiting help, training advice, motivation, and more from pro athletes, coaches, celebrities, and entrepreneurs worldwide. of the Athletic Scholarship Corporation found on the web at www.athleticscholarshipcorp.com and also the ASC Sports Radio Network. On the line today, I've got a real special individual and coach, Samantha Quigley. Before we get into a little introduction and background of who you are, I just want to give the disclosure that Coach Quigley is in no fashion endorsing or suggesting anything about any recruiting service, product, or service. This is solely content for educational purposes only for high school student-athletes, coaches, and parents. Now that we got that legal stuff out of the way, that's really relevant in the NCAA. Um, give us a little background, Coach. Welcome to the show. Yeah, great to, um, great to be here. Um, I'm from the University of St. Francis. Uh, we're a smaller NAIA uh, women's basketball program located in Joliet, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're about 35 miles south of Chicago. Um, but I came here via DePaul University, which is in Chicago. Um, played there for five years. I was actually a red shirt. Um, I tore my ACL uh, my second season there. And so, um, you know, I'm from this area, grew up in Joliet. Um, my family um, has a lot of big ties with the University of St. Francis. Um, my mom played here. My father's played here. So uh, we were running around this place when we were about three years old. <laughs> Um, so it's kind of a unique story in terms of coming back to my hometown, coaching here, and, um, you know, just loving loving what I do every day. Um, you know, I think that's really important when you wake up and go to work. <laughs> yeah, and it is, and I know you're a younger coach. Um, I actually remember reading about you, believe it or not, I've been doing this, uh, you know, recruiting and placement services for 12 years now, and really highly touted Parade All-American, obviously played at the D1 level. Could you touch base for the listeners about, being a female student athlete, you know, that not really the title nine process, just the process as a division one prospect, um, you know, how that went for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think I was like a little unique in terms of recruiting and what normal people kind of went through. I didn't mm-hmm. visit a lot of schools. Mm-hmm. Um, my older sister, Allie actually, um, was already at the Paul. So that was kind of something that really, you know, pushed me in that direction. Um, but we were multiple sport athletes. Um, we played volleyball, softball, and basketball in high school. Um, so we were running back and forth from sport to sport to sport and didn't have a whole lot of time to, like, go on college visits, <laughs> you know. And I know that's a little different than nowadays where, you know, every other weekend, you know, kids are going to universities, which I think is a great thing, you know. Um, but, you know, I knew where I wanted to be in terms of being close to my family, and um, I knew I wanted to play at the highest level, and so – there there weren't a whole lot of options, you know. Um, and obviously with my sister being at DePaul, that was kind of something that really pushed me in that direction. Right. Um, but obviously the coaching staff, I mean, that was something that, you know, uh, Doug Bruno at DePaul is an ultra competitor, and that's the kind of person I am. So, you know, it just worked out in that, you know, my sister was there, my family was close, and I loved who I was going to be, you know, being coached by. Um, so that's a little bit about kind of my recruiting and it was different than I think what is normal for student athletes now. I mean, I know people go on visits now when they're freshmen, sophomores in high school. Um, and I think that's really important too, to be able to get out there and see what you like and stuff like that. I mean, as a family, we always 
we would visit universities. I mean, we visited Duke. That was my dream school. Don't tell DePaul. Don't tell anybody that. <laughs> um, but North Carolina, like those were all, those are things that we did just as a family. And it was more of a fun, enjoying thing rather than kind of you have to pick a college now, you know. And so that's where I think, I don't know, that times have changed all that much. I know that was only, what, maybe like 13, 14 years ago. Yeah. Um, but it seems a lot longer. Um, so we do talk about like, you know, with our team, this generation, I'm a part of that generation. So I don't know why I even say that. But Yeah. And, and so. it's, it's changed a lot. And what do you see now being a, a younger coach and kind of catapulted into the position? I read your bio on your athletic site. And what's the the difference that you see being a former division one, that one percent or two percenter dealing with the NAIA and, 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 and NAIA gives out a lot of scholarships, a lot of opportunity, great education. It's still there, but they've been tagged for so long that I can remember playing in the nineties and being a recruit that NAIA was kind of like secondary and D2. Of course, everybody wants to play D1. What's the challenge, you know, being a former D1 student athlete and now coaching at that NAIA level, as far as resources or recruiting, what, what, what's the challenge or that you face now? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's such a different scale in terms of, you know, the amount of teams, um, the budget that you have, um, you know, your ability to go, you know, far places to recruit. So in terms of that, and, and obviously, Division One has, there's so much more money involved. So it's, it's a lot different. But um, being here for as long as I have been, um, you know, I, I know what you mean in terms of people thinking that it's kind of second tier. Um, but being here and coaching here, I think that's something that that's a passion of mine, trying to get people to understand, you know, if I can get them on campus, like I know that, that I can get them to understand how great of a, of a game this is at this level and how great of a school this is. You know, I think the biggest challenge is just getting them out to the campus, you know, and that's really what we try to do at the NAI level. Like we try to find players that maybe think they're going to go division one, you know, and then it kind of doesn't pan out for them. And so, you know, we recruit really much later in the process than Division One does, you know, because we're looking for those, you know, players that, you know, maybe thought one thing was going to happen, it didn't happen. And so now, you know, and, and a lot of our girls are local, you know, we, we recruit in the Midwest for the most part. Um, you know, I don't think we have to go very far. I think there's great basketball in this area. So, um, you know, we're in a very great position to recruit because we're in a great local area that has a lot of great tournaments. A lot of the AU tournaments come in you know, to the Chicagoland area. So, you know, in terms of NAI and how that's a little bit different than Division One, you know, Division Ones, they might start recruiting eighth graders, freshmen, you know, sophomores. You know, we don't even talk to anyone probably till their junior year. And that's even a little bit early. Like end of junior year, that's when we really start making calls, going to their games. You know, up until that point, we're just making huge lists of people, you know. And so I know that every program is different. Every program does things a little bit different. But for me, I think it's, and for our program, it seems a little ridiculous to talk to someone when they're 14 years old, Yeah, and, <laughs> you know, when they have so much, so much basketball ahead of them and just so much school ahead of them, you know, to even be thinking about college at this point, you know, some of them haven't even taken the ACT prep course yet, <laughs> you know, and so that's something that we really, we really look into and, and make sure we don't, we don't talk to people too early. Yeah. But I would, I would, I think you would agree that you do build a list and start to evaluate. You don't really put the, the verbal communication in play. And obviously you have some rules and regulations, but I think you start looking and evaluating and, and name gathering, correct? Or, or oh yeah, right? of course. Of course. Like we have a list, 
and I'll just tell you what we do. Um, you know, we have a we have an ABC list, it's called, and so we have 2019 A's and 2019 B's and 2019 C's, and then we have you know every year. I mean, I think the furthest I go at this point is maybe 2021. Oh yeah. You know, and yeah. and none of those girls, you know, we're going to have any communication with right. until they become a junior in high school. You know, but when you go to all these tournaments, there's so many people playing. So you know, I might be sitting at a court watching juniors in high school, and then there's a eighth and freshman team that's playing right next to the court. And why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I watch both of them? You know? So, so I'm constantly, I mean, we're constantly recruiting, I think, and recruiting for our university, just being a small school, you know, I'm constantly talking about how great St. Francis is. And I really do think it's so great. Um, But that's the thing that, you know, I don't know that everybody does that, but that's something that we do. and, And something that we really pride ourselves on from a coaching staff perspective is, trying to respond to every email. And I know there's like recruiting websites, but personal emails to me are <laughs> they're almost a lost art. Even personal letters are a lost art. You know, it's not very often that, you know, we get a letter from a recruit or, you know, I don't know that many programs send handwritten letters out to people anymore. Um, and that's something that, that we do quite a bit in our program. And like I was even mentioning, just the personal emails, like trying to respond to all those because I know people put so much time into that. And, if there's a great player out there, like, I don't care how we, we find her, you know, if we find her on the internet, if we find her at a tournament, if we find her through someone else, you know, I think that those are important things for just recruits to note, you know, like if there's a school that you like, and if there's a place that you think that you want to spend the next four or five years of your life, you know, why would you have a recruiting service, you know, kind of do that communication when you could do it yourself. Um, so not that I'm, am I bashing recruiting services? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're not. I mean, they're, they're, but, I, but I, I, we're, sub- we're subscribed to a couple of them too. And they're great and everything, but they're just, you get so many of them in one day, you know, compared to, you know, a personal email you might get once a week, you know, yeah. so. And we do personalized letters. That's one of the things that probably separates us in our evaluation. And when we market an athlete, we actually have them do letters and we have what's called their, their wish list or, you know, their top school list. And we could try to consult them and say, okay, that may be a fit or it may not be based on your skill set, your academics. Cause obviously you can't, you can't make them get accepted. You can't make them succeed academically at, at your program. And so you have to be realistic when you, you know, create that list also. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Like, like I talked about, like we have an A, B and C list, like the A's are probably, I mentioned like those division one kids. And most of them will probably go to Division One. Mm-hmm. You know, like there was a time where I had like, <laughs> I, I should mention a couple of players. <laughs> I've, there's a time where I've had a couple of girls that like went to DePaul, went to Stanford, went to, you know, Notre Dame, and I'm like, why would we have them on that list? Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. just thinking to myself, but but those are those are types of things that, you know, when I see a player, I think maybe this kid will fall through the cracks. You never know. You know, so we we do, I think, a great job of even, you know, when we send out emails, like just trying to make them as personal as possible. You know, and like I get when, you know, recruits are looking at a ton of schools, they get all these letters and mailings. I mean, I, I think I still have, you know, the box when oh, yeah. we were recruited, just mail on mail on mail. And they're just general, you know, mailing sent out to all recruits. And so that's something like, I love sending emails to recruits because then I have to learn about them. You know, I look up, you know, their next game or some of their stats or, you know, where their hometown is. You know, I think people really appreciate you knowing who they are, you know, and it not just being so, you know, so much like a business, you know, where it's, it's not as personal, I feel like, as maybe it used to be. And, 
I do think some programs, you know, at the Division One level, they do a great job of that. You know, I think DePaul is one of them, um, where they're they're making phone calls to you, you know, and they're <laughs> making you get on the phone and talk to them, and even talking with your parents and things like that. Um, you know, we don't really touch on a lot of home visiting or anything like that. Um, but I think that in the future we might get to that point. So, do you in your evaluation process? I know you really you start the face-to-face and the dialogue when they're, when they're junior, senior type deal because of the nature of being in that NAI bracket. But social media is so relevant now. You're looking at kids' pages and trying to learn who they are and not what everybody tells you they are. Is that a pretty accurate statement? Early yeah, yeah. And you know what? I, I don't do a whole lot of, like, you know, stalking on the social yeah. media, <laughs> you know. But, but, yeah, for sure. Like, if – and especially if it's, like – someone that we we think we have a pretty great chance of getting and coming to St. Francis, you know, like I'm constantly seeing like, did she win an award here or there? Like, did she have a great game the other night? You know, and then we're, we're using our social media to even promote the things that she's doing and she's not even here yet. And so just, just so that, like I said before, just about being more personal and, and finding out what's going on in this kid's life at this moment, you know, I think those are really important things. And, um, you know, obviously through social media, that is a place where every recruit, you know, is, and they're there 24-7 on their phone that's on their hip. And so, you know, if you want to reach a recruit and you want to get to know them, that's where you go. <laughs> and so I think that's something that we've done a better job of as a coaching staff. And we've we've added, you know, some younger individuals to our coaching staff too, which helps a whole lot. You know, they're a little more tech savvy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, I mean, we do have – dealing with all the colleges across the country, we do have some old school coaches that just, you know, we still send faxes out at times, believe it or not. And it's archaic. Yeah. It gets, but um, what's a deal breaker for you as a coach, you're on a social media page and you see something and maybe you've run across this. I'm sure you have um, that you just go, I, I just can't, I can't deal with this here. Yeah. Know, as far as our brand and our image as a university. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm a big, I'm a big, um, you know, coach in terms of making excuses you know, when things don't go right, I think a lot of times kids are quick to blame, blame something, blame someone, you know, Mm -hmm. as opposed to really taking responsibility for things that might have happened in their life, in basketball, in school, whatever it may be. Um, So that's, that's a big thing. I think when, when you kind of see those red flags, and to be honest, I haven't even come across a recruit like that, maybe just because, you know, we're doing a great job of recruiting great families and great people, but um, that would certainly be something that would kind of be a red flag for us. You know, just someone that is just kind of talking about everybody else. (laughs) You know, I think that that's something, and that's something I think that some kids really do. You know, they talk about their coach, they talk about their programs, they talk about things on Twitter and on the internet, you know, as opposed to really trying to figure out what the issue is. You know, if you're, if you're disappointed about playing time, if you're, you know, disappointed about a professor or how things are going in the classroom, you know, go talk to that person, walk in their office and have a one-on-one conversation with them face-to-face, you know, instead of kind of just plastering it, it all over, plastering it all over social media, that's not going to get the issue resolved by any means. It's probably going to make it worse. And so, um, you know, that I think would be one of the biggest red flags. And like I said, I haven't had a lot of encounters with that, which I think is great, <laughs> but you know, even with our current players and current team, you know, at the beginning of the year, we talk a lot about social media and the whole Twitter thing and retweeting what somebody else said, you know, and understanding that when you retweet it, you know, that looks like 
you believe in that too, you know, even though you didn't really write it. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's birds, the same feather flock together mentality. And I'm going to probably upset some listeners, but this is, this is a fact I have uh, sons and I have a daughter. And the reality is that the female student athlete going in the junior, senior year is far more mature than most male student athletes. It's a fact. I deal with them every day. Um, the girls are very protective of what they say and who they network with if, yeah. for obvious reasons. And I, I, we're actually starting an initiative called Pink Recruiting, and it's just going to be really advocates and people giving advice. And we have former clients of ours that are major Division One athletes and Olympic athletes now. And, and so that's our initiative going forward. So I, I guess leading into the next question, going back in high school and being a, a young, successful student athlete, um, how did you manage social and, 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 and the boys? I mean, that's definitely a, a real issue in society today is the, the dating scene, the distractions. How did you keep yourself shielded from that? I know you went to a private school. It probably yeah. helps a little bit, but yeah. you have to manage that around the clock. And how did you do that? What's your best advice and how did you do it? Oh, of course. You know, I think that the biggest thing, and I even tell recruits that when this when they come in on campus, you know, really making a list and trying to figure out what are the most important things to you, you know, and a lot of a lot of players, a lot of recruits, a lot of people will say, you know, my family, my school, then basketball, or in any of those orders, you know. And so, I think when when we were in high school, you know, we we were constantly, and and this is how we were raised, even I think, you know, from the parental side, we were always, you know, told, and it was preached to us that these are the things that are important in life, you know, and it's not so much, you know the social aspect and how you're dressing and, you know, um, whether you're going to go to this dance with this person, you know, it was more, you know, we knew what was important. And I think that was something that really we got from our parents, you know, they were constantly, you know, encouraging us to number one, have fun. You know, we are never pressured to play any sports. Um, you know, when we didn't like a sport, we were free to just stop it, you know, and obviously it came with, you know, our mother was never going to let us quit anything. But, you know, if we didn't enjoy something, you know, after a certain point, she wouldn't obviously force us to do it. But we were the type of kids that, you know, at that time, and this wasn't even that long ago, we didn't have an iPad. We didn't have, you know, cell phones. I think I got my first cell phone and I was sharing it with my little brother, like my junior year in high school. (laughs) So, (laughs) So it was a little different than things are now where that social media device is constantly connected to your hip you know, and so back then, like if I wanted to talk to my boyfriend, I had to call him on my house phone, <laughs> you know, or I had to meet up with him at the park or at the dance or wherever it may be. And nowadays it's just so different because, you know, we could just text people and hide behind things and Snapchat. not conf- not confront people, you know. So, um, you know, I think when we were younger, it was different in terms of the generation. And I, I laugh all the time. I have an eight month old. Um, I had a baby in September. So um, I joke with my fiance that we are not going to be iPad parents. <laughs> and I'm sure that's not true. But, um, you know, we're constantly I constantly see little kids and, you know, they're on the iPad and they're playing with their parents phone. And are they even engaged with what's going on? <laughs> you know, we're at a family dinner or we're out with friends and you know, when we were younger, we were running around that place. We were playing games. We were, you know, <laughs> making games up at the table. You know, we weren't, we didn't have those other devices to, it just seems like putting the, putting them in a trance. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, and you're not, I mean, not too far separated from it. I mean, it was no. It was relevant, and it was out there when you were in high school. So it, oh, it, really, yeah. Oh, yeah. it, it really goes down to a core you know, core values and, and upbringing from, from the parents. And, um, you know, that's one of the things that we discuss when we consult clients about this process and college selection and recruiting is be engaged, be involved. And so many parents say, oh, it's up to my kid. It's their decision. And I'm just going, wow, this is a life-changing decision. You're just going to leave it to a 17 or 18-year-old. Probably not a oh, good yeah. idea. Yeah. Um, and even, oh, it's so funny. I had like a conversation with my dad this morning about <laughs> about my sister when she was like a junior in high school. She went to prom and all these people were staying over at this one guy's house, you know, and my dad was like, well, you're not, yeah, you know, yeah. and she was the only one. And I think that, I don't know if sometimes parents and I'm a parent are so afraid to step outside of the comfort zone to be, you know, a parent that doesn't allow things like that. Um, you know, we had a couple just um, incidences in this area you know, where kids went up to Milwaukee, they're in high school and they got in drug issues and, you know, kids ended up dying. And so, you know, I think parents are just so sometimes nervous to, I don't know, to be different because nowadays all of this, all of these things are acceptable. You know, it's okay to spend the night at your boyfriend's and do uh, all these other uh, things, uh, no, you know, uh, and to, and uh, to drink, but you know what I'm saying? That's yeah. what, that's what it's mm-hmm. becoming. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes people are just so afraid to say, you know, no, we're going to help you with this decision and we are going to not allow this to happen. And, you know, I mean, parents aren't dumb. Like, it's probably still going to happen, but it's not going to happen under our roof and we're going to do our best to prevent this from happening, you know. And, I mean, I was in college. I I had fun. I wasn't anyone that was, you know, this perfect angel by any means. But I think we were brought up with with the notion that this is what's right, this is what's wrong, and, you know, this is how you need to live your life. And I think whether we agreed with it or not, you know, my sister wasn't very happy that night when she was the only one not staying over (laughs) after prom night, you know, but that was something that I think that I'm always going to keep with me when I raise my kids. Like I'm going to understand that, listen, terrible things didn't happen to us. And it was because my parents didn't allow those things to happen. You know, they didn't allow us to be put in a position where something bad could happen, you know? So, you know, I think that's the biggest thing. Um, I don't well, know. <laughs> I'm, I'm dealing with it personally. I mean, I'm I'm divorced, 43, and got a 15-year-old daughter, and find out that my daughter's been allowed to see someone older, and I lost my complete lid. And it's it, you know, same thing. I, you know, my daughter's not going to like me, and she may listen to this. She may hate me till she's 25 or 30. But one day, you know, they'll understand. And that's one thing that parents are afraid to do is they want to blame coaches. They want to blame the high school coaches. This isn't working out or that. They want to blame everybody else except for taking responsibility and saying, okay, I'm going to have some friction. I'm going to cause a fight. We're going to not get along. You know what? I, you can respect me. You don't have to be my friend right now. And, and a lot of parents are afraid to say that. They really yeah. are. And, and I think, too, like they're so quick to jump to the – well, we'll just quit. We'll just go somewhere else. We'll just uh, move somewhere else, yeah. you know, and we just went through an issue with um, my sister has kind of an AAU team in this area. It's really small. We just started it. Um, they're called the AQ champions. And there was a girl who, who wanted to quit. And we had, we had only been playing for about a month and a half, not very long. Um, and she just didn't, she didn't like the girls on the team and didn't get along with them. And mm-hmm. I mean, it was just excuse after excuse after excuse. And I, you know, you know, they sent us an email to say they were going to quit. And, you know, my older brother and I, who kind of, who kind of run this thing, you know, he, he said like, well, she doesn't want to be a part of it. She doesn't want to be a part of it. And I said, no. So I called the dad and I just said like, this isn't the answer. 
You know, mm-hmm. what is she going to do when the next issue arises? You know, when she goes to high school and she doesn't like that team or she doesn't like that coach, you know, like she's got to give this, this is a point of adversity right now. You know, she's got to give this more of a, you know, a better effort, you know, and yeah, she might not get along with people and, you know, maybe there were some things that we need to do different from a coaching perspective, but quitting is not the answer. And I think that is something that people just jump so, so quickly to, um, you know, if something's not working out, we'll just take yourself out of it, you know, get rid of the situation and then you don't have to worry about it until you want to quit life. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that's where, and that's where really think about like, and I know there's, there's some serious issues that have gone on at universities. I'm not saying that, you know, people, people don't transfer for the right reasons. I know there are some really great reasons that people transfer, Mm -hmm. but even these days, like so many people are transferring, you know, so many people are saying, you know, the hell with this school. And they've been there for maybe a year, you know, maybe six months. And, you know, I think that, I think that that's not always the best answer, you know? Um, Well, it's, it's an issue of entitlement and wanting to play right away. And I think the NAIA has done a great job instituting the play NAIA and, and the structural organization that ne- was needed. You know, NCAA has had it for a long time, and they're the big gorilla, and they, you know, they govern every step. Where the NAIA for years was so loose, and you saw kids transfer from one school to another literally mid-semester. It didn't matter. They're playing somewhere else, and you're going, how in the heck is this happening? And now I think you guys have the luxury at, you know, the NAIA level of some structure and holding people accountable now, you know, being compliant and, and doing the NAIA registration. A lot, oh, yeah, of, a lot of kids don't know about it. A lot of coaches, yeah. parents, and kids don't even know that it's mandatory and they got to do it too now. it's Yeah, you know, it's very much like the same clearinghouse and everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that I think that we've come a long way. The NAIA, obviously, um, you know, I've only been a part of it for five or six years, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, just every year there's, there's becoming, there's more, more structure and more, no, you know, rules in terms of transferring and, you know, within the same realm though, we do have things that, you know, we can waive sometimes, you know, transfer rules where people have to sit out a year, which I think sometimes is a good thing. Right. You know, if a kid truly and really is unhappy, you know, and they're going from maybe one of our conference schools to another conference school, you know, you want, at the end of the day, you want that kid to be happy, you know? So we have, I think that luxury where, Maybe the NCAA might be a little bit different, and I don't know all their rules, but um, in terms of having to sit out a year or having to, you know, do certain things to gain your eligibility back. So now you talk about adversity, and I have a segment that's basically, and you can opt out of these answers because I didn't send them to you and, and preempt you to, you know, coach you along on this one, coach. But uh, <laughs> we call it behind the arc, and basically a segment of you know, the toughest things or adversity that you faced as a high school player or college player, what's the toughest thing that you think you had to overcome as a, as an athlete, student athlete? Um, you know, as a high school player, um, you know, I think one thing that we all as a family and because we played so many sports um, was just trying to keep everybody happy. <laughs> you know, like we were constantly, you know, and the summers were the craziest because every coach thought that the summer was theirs. You know, summer softball thought that, the summer should be completely dedicated to them. But then there was volleyball camp for high school and then there was a basketball summer league. And so, you know, we were constantly getting, I don't want to say like dirty looks, but just comments from coaches that, you know, we need you here, you know, you need to be here, you know? And so that was the most frustrating thing. You just, I, I just remember constantly feeling like I was letting this team down and then I would turn around and let this team down and let this team down, you know? And, 
that's something even with this little, you know, this AAU team we have in this area, we're kind of encouraging multiple sport athletes to come play for us, you know, and kind of make it when you can. We're going to practice twice a week. We're going to play one-day shootouts on the weekends, and if you can make it, you can make it. You know, we have close to 10 or 12 girls on each team, and I think that's something that, you know, these days is not is not common where people play multiple sports. No, they um, they really force the, the hand on around do, the clock. I, mean, I coached and, high school football, and we had literally two weeks off, and I said, you know, these guys have to play other sports. They need to have experience. This is a part of their life they'll never get back, and they may find out they're better in track or baseball. And when you shut the door as a coach, I think you're it's a disservice to them. I think they should play every sport they can and have a balanced life because you only get one crack at it. Yeah, I, I do too, and I think, and there's going to be a time where they have to make a decision, you know. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> yeah, that yeah, exactly. Like when you get to the point where I'm a senior now, mm-hmm. you know, and and it's not like you can't still play multiple sports. I mean, even in college here, like at our level, obviously it's a lot different. But you know, we've had a volleyball player play for us. We've had a golfer play for us, and so it's not, it's not, it, that's not something that's not doable, you know. And I think people, you know, when they're younger, they've just constantly been trained to you have to you have to choose one you know you have to you have to specialize in this sport and then parents wonder why these kids get burnt out mm-hmm. you know when they get to be juniors in high school and they're like I hate volleyball or I hate basketball you yeah. know because yeah. they've been playing it 365 since they were in third grade you know so I think that was something when we were younger we just had so much fun <laughs> one of my aunts she jokes that one time she came to our house and us four kids were like out in the backyard and we were we were riding our bikes with our rollerblades on, shooting hoops. And she was like, I don't know how you guys were doing it. <laughs> she was like, but you were outside, and we were always outside, and we were just playing anything that was competitive and anything that was fun. You know, and I think so often, I mean, on a nice day, take a drive around your neighborhood or the park and see how many kids are there. None. You know, it's not, no, it's not very many unless it's a scheduled practice. You know, if there's a football practice, they're going to be there. If there's a softball practice, they're going to be outside. You know, but... Besides that, they're—I'm not quite sure what they're doing. I mean, they're inside. They're—I mentioned on the iPad or. I mean, it's funny you said that because I just had this conversation with my best friend about a week ago, and I said, "Remember when we were growing up? We used to take our sock off and put a sock ball together, and at recess we'd play football, and people be bleeding, and yeah. we get in trouble, but we just did it every day. And then growing up, we played our high school game on Friday night, and then we watched film on Saturday, and Saturday afternoon we would go to any park." in any area, any street corner, and you'd have a pickup football game. And oh, you yeah. go today, I'd probably offer you $1,000, drive around all day. You will not find somebody on Saturday or Sunday playing nowhere in, in a park oh, no. or a football game anymore. It's a yeah. dying art, and it's sad, but everything is computerized. Everybody's on social media, um, probably saying too much. Um, what's your your biggest adversity challenge as a college athlete? Would it be the injury or, or something else? Um, the injury and then, you know, just the concept of like when I came in as a freshman, you know, and I was super competitive. I mean, I was a point guard. I was like, you know, that little engine that could and was like constantly wanting to be a leader. But being a freshman, that's a tough thing to do. Um, but I constantly wanted, I wanted to play more. I wanted more. And, you know, as a freshman, like there was a senior point guard or junior point guard, like that just wasn't going to happen, you know. And so I think that was my biggest struggle my biggest thing my freshman year I just felt like and I still played I think I played close to 20 minutes a game like it wasn't like I wasn't playing at all you know so I think I was just very competitive in the 
in the aspect of I wanted to all I wanted more all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, even even my senior year when I was playing 39 minutes a game or whatever, you know, like I wanted us to be better. I wanted to be better. And so that was the biggest thing with me. I thought, you know, as a freshman, when I came in, you know, I wanted to be the best and I wanted to be the best right now, you know, but I I think it took a while for me to understand, like, there's things you have to do to make yourself, you know, the best to make yourself elite. Like, it's not just going to happen. You know, you're not just going to show up somewhere and be the best player on the floor. You know, and so that's something that I really took to heart, you know, after my freshman year, you know, we sat down and had individual meetings with our coaching staff and they said, these are the things you need to work on. And I really took those things to heart. Um, And I just remember even coach Bruno, like sitting me down and we were watching like some game film and like he had one of those little red pointers, you know, and we were going possession by possession and like every possession he would like circle, circle me, you know, and I was doing nothing to help us, you know, whether that was on the offensive and the defensive end. You know, I was staring when someone shot the ball, not going in for a rebound, not getting back on defense. And it was just like such a rude awakening. Like I had no idea that I was so unproductive, yeah. <laughs> you know. And so, <laughs> you know, instead of thinking like Coach Bruno was like the worst person in the world, you know, I was thinking how disappointed I was in myself. And like, gosh, we lost by one. And like, look at all the times he circled me, you know, and all those times I could have helped us. You know, I think that's that's something that, you know, players – I don't want to say fail to do, but sometimes they don't. Yeah. Well, they're not so much like they're not so much looking in the mirror, you know, they want to come in and ask coach why they're not playing more, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of coming in and asking, what can I do? You know, what, what do you feel like I'm not doing enough of, you know, what can I do to make myself have more minutes? What can I do to, for you to keep me on the floor? You know, I think that was something that, you know, instead of being so frustrated with my playing time and my minutes, I was more frustrated with the fact that I wasn't doing the work to be really where I wanted to be. I think it's easy to talk about goals to talk about dreams, you know, but the hard part is doing all the work to, to get yourself there. Yeah. And so you're, you're right. And, and most people don't want to put the sweat equity in how, how, how tough was college? Like when did you go in and just, I remember when I opened my eyes, I, you know, I was prayed all American and, and back in the nineties, if you were in the publication, you were guaranteed recruited in football. Obviously everything's digital now. And, email and and social media but I remember in the all-star game first play getting cracked and everybody on that field in that all-star game um you know was was great and then you get to college and the guy third string is great too so when you went to college what was the defining moment that you said this is just a totally different ball game yeah I mean I think it was just playing in the big east you know at that time you know, DePaul was in the Big East with the Notre Dames and the UConn and oh, uh, Rutgers. Rough. And so that's when it was really, I mean, Villanova, every year, oh, it was tough. It was really tough. Yeah. And just just understanding that, like, when I got there, you know, even our preseason, like, we thought we were good, and then January came. <laughs> you know, and you just had, like, it, every night was like a constant dogfight battle, you know, where you didn't really know who was going to win. I mean, it was just it was constantly, it was, it was just tough. The players were bigger. They were stronger. They were, you know, just a whole level of a whole different level of basketball. And so, um, you know, I think playing in the big East was a huge challenge. Um, and a great one at that, you know, I think I, I became the player I was because of playing in that league. You know, I knew I had to do more work. You know, I wasn't going to be the quickest on the floor by any means. I wasn't the biggest. I was five foot five, maybe five foot six on a good day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew that I had to do something else. I had to do something else that these other players weren't doing, you know, and if that meant I had to live in the gym and shoot more and, you know, ball handle better, like I had to do 
all those things to make myself be able to compete against the Maya Moore and the um, Skylar Diggins and, the, oh. you know, those players, oh. you know, so, and, and still, it was still, I mean, they still killed us, <laughs> but, you know, um, to get yourself in position to even compete, like you have to do so much more, you know, to be at the highest level, you know, even if you don't have, you know, that raw talent, if you don't have those things that you were just born with, you have to do something else, you know, to make yourself stick out. In closing, and I appreciate your time greatly, and, and obviously you've got a dynamic background and wish you the, the most success Thank and you. continued. What is your best, maybe number one, number two pointers to parents? And, and then second prong is to student athletes about dealing with this college selection and recruiting process. What's your, your best tips, you know, being a former female student athlete, now a coach, you know, what do you, what do you think is the most important thing to look at? Um, you know, I think from like a parent perspective, and I know you mentioned it a little, you know, letting your student athlete, letting your, your, your kid make the decision on their own. You know, I don't think that that's, I think that that sounds great, <laughs> you know, but being a 16 or 17 year old, you know, I mean, I remember being a 16 and 17 year old and my, my mind was 18 different places. Like I really thought I was going to go play at Duke, you know, that just wasn't in the cards for me. Um, <laughs> so I think just making things realistic for, um, for your kid and, you know, not making things more, you know, more obvious and letting them know that maybe, maybe this level isn't the level for you, you know, and not letting them just get discouraged when, you know, their AAU coach is telling them, I think that happens more than anything, you know, with the players that we talked to, their AAU coach told them so-and-so was going to call and so-and-so was going to call and you were going to get this offer and this offer and this offer. And when none of that stuff happens, you know, there's going to be so much disappointment. So I think just look outside the box in terms of it's not a horrible thing to go visit a division two school, you know, or it's not a bad thing to go visit a smaller division one, you know, or an NAI school. You know, I think those are things that parents sometimes, I think they just forget about those, those things because of what everybody else is telling them, you know, and I think they can't lose sight of what is the most important thing. And I think the most important thing is their education, you know, and, um, you know, how they spend the next four or five years of their life, regardless of what school or what level they're at. You want them to have a wonderful experience and you don't want them to leave that experience and, you know, be disappointed or to transfer to three or four different schools. You want them to be comfortable. You want them to, like I said, get their degree, maybe get their master's. Um, so I think that's something that parents, they kind of leave things up to some of the coaches that are that are taking care of their their kids and sometimes they have to step in I think and say like you know what yes we're going to visit these schools but we're also going to visit these schools you know and this is something I want you to do just in case some of this stuff doesn't work out you know you know now this is what a smaller school looks like this is what a medium school looks like and this is what a really big school looks like you know and there's going to be some kids that obviously they are division one no doubt about it you know but there's a lot of kids I think that are that are kind of in the middle where they have options and I don't think that all the time, you know, they see all those options, you know, they see one or two things that that coaches tell them. And so they, you know, they hug onto that and then it's March of their senior year and they don't know where they're going, <laughs> you yeah. know? So from a parent perspective, I think that's huge. And then from an athlete perspective, um, you know, like I kind of mentioned, just, just really doing the work to, to be at the level you want to be at. You know, if you have a dream and a goal to play division one, if you have a dream and a goal to play college basketball alone, you know, that you have to do the work to make those things happen. You know, you can't just expect 
you know, because I play on this AU team and because my AU coach is saying this, that all those things are going to work out for you. You know, you have to do the work to make coaches want you to come to their university. You know, do the work to to make yourself a college basketball player if you're in, you know, if you're kind of in the middle where you're not sure you're going to play or not. Um, you know, I think I think kids can't be afraid to, I think, like I said, put down the phone and go shoot some hoops. And I think the Wisconsin coach this past year probably said it better than anyone. I don't know if you saw that interview at all. Um, her post-game interview, do you remember this at all? No, I don't. I just remember the coach going off the handle and, and um, obviously the controversy of uh, she's yeah. too rough on us and oh, everybody wants to transfer. Yes, everyone yeah, wants to transfer. And, yeah, and I, what she said in the post-game talk was just yeah. get in the gym and shoot the ball. Like, you want to know why Steph Curry is such a good shooter? Because he shoots it all. You know, she said, put down the phone, put down the iPad, and get your butts in the gym. And so that was something that I think, I mean, all of women's basketball really, you know, kind of woke up and said, gee, she's been saying things that we've been thinking for I don't know how long. Yeah, and now everybody thinks, but, oh, she's just too tough. And it's like, yeah, wow. Yeah, and, yeah. And you know what? You know, who knows? Maybe she was. I'm not really sure. But, you know, the 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 point of, again, just like quitting when things when things aren't going right and, um, you know, not trying to attack the situation or talk to your coach or talk to your, you know, your professor or parent about things that are bothering you. I think the easy way out is to just say, I'm going to go somewhere else, you know, and someone else will hopefully deal with me. <laughs> well, I mean, playing playing high school at a big Division One major program in Ohio and then playing college and at the professional level, it, it's brutal. The things that I went through personally and how I was treated – I, I never looked at it as bad. I kind of look back and go, it's just the way it was. Yeah. And, and and I don't think it's acceptable, some of the stuff, and we're, we're in a different politically correct environment. But I some of it does build character, and some mm-hmm. of it's tough love, and it's taken out of context. And some of these coaches really do care about the productivity and, and the, the student athlete and who they are as a person and, and what they're going to be for the next 40 years, not just – the few years you're there to play basketball. I mean, there's a big relationship bridge that's built in that, that process. And you're basically like, you know, when you go to school as a football player, that football coach is like your second dad. So I'm sure these young ladies look to you like a a second mother or a big sister or a best friend type situation. I mean, there's definitely a relationship value there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think that sometimes is something that just gets lost, you know, because, because this isn't this isn't working out for me or I'm not getting what I want. And so, you know, the whole the whole concept of work is kind of getting lost, I think, where if you want to make changes, you have to do you have to make a change. You got to do something different, you know, for those things to to happen. Um, You know, and I think before quitting, before giving up, you know, giving it an extra six months, giving it another year isn't the worst thing in the world. Like, what's the worst thing that could happen? You're in the same spot you are right now saying you want to leave. You know, but then you at least know that, you know, I gave it, I gave it a try. You know, I felt this way a year ago or I felt this way six months ago. I worked my butt off to try to make it work and it didn't, you know, I think just people are so quick to just give up. <laughs> yeah, they are. And um, I know we've been on here a little bit longer. I do. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, it's it's fine. I mean, we could talk all day, obviously going through the, the process and the topics. So it's great content. 
it was great having you on. I do appreciate your time greatly. Yeah, and, and thank good, you for having me. Good luck with the AAU. And the Thanks for tuning in to the Athletic Scholarship Corporation Radio Network. Heard worldwide on www.athleticscholarshipcorp.com. Be sure to tune in next week for more college recruiting help, training advice, motivation, and more from pro athletes, coaches, celebrities, and entrepreneurs worldwide.